Hey, hey, welcome to Think Torah. This podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Feel free to check us out at intentionaljew.com for some awesome content, some awesome dudes just putting out awesome thoughts. And check out Menachem Poznanski and Simi Lerner, and my father has a Pirkei Avos class on there. Currently, we're only hosting four, but we do plan to expand. The following series is a series I'm going to be conducting. It's something I'm super passionate about. I think it's the intersect between technology, innovation, and almost education. And I bring on lots of, really, I call them educators because they may be rabbis, they may not be rabbis, but they are Torah educators and they want to bring a Torah mission out to the world. And they're doing that online and using online media, whether it be Facebook, Facebook posts, YouTube, videos, podcasts. These are people that I find inspiring, that they're able to use and that they're able to use technology to further the mission of God. And that's amazing to me. Let's jump right into today's guest. Today's guest is a prolific podcaster and Jewish personality. Rabbi Yaakov Olby. He's the director of Torch, an outreach organization in Houston, Texas. He's a friend of my family's in a bunch of ways. And I think it's safe to call him a successful Jewish podcaster. He just reached 1 million downloads across all of his six podcast channels. I just want to promote those a little bit for him. I think that each one of them is unique and awesome to listen to. So he's got The six are the Jewish History Podcast, the Parsha Podcast, the Mitzvah Podcast, This Jewish Life, Torah 101 Podcast, and Eternal Ethics Podcast. And as you'll find out in this episode, he has plans for seven more. So he is definitely flooding with content and flooding our feeds, and that's amazing. So without further ado, I bring you Rabbi Yaakov Volk. Rabbi Wolby. How you doing? <laughs> I want you to, can you tell our listeners um, today about what you are, what do you do, and uh, what you find most meaningful in your, uh, in your line of work? Okay, so my name is Yakov Wolby. I am employed as the director of outreach, as an outreach rabbi for Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston, and uh, I'm an educator. I'd like to think of myself as a, as a thinker uh, and someone who is really thinking of new ideas and trying to innovate in teaching Torah to the masses. And as to what, uh, what is the most gratifying part of what I do, so I am fortunate enough to be someone who studies Torah, who teaches Torah, and there is nothing as sublime and as meaningful as being able to help people, as being able to teach people, as being able to connect and relate and interface with people, to get to know people, and to see just the beautiful nation that we have, and all the diversity that we have, and all the uh, incredible genius that we have, and to be able to you know play a small part in helping people advance their spiritual life, to grow, to study, 
to, to learn more about their heritage, to learn more about the story of the Jewish people, to learn more about the weekly Parsha, to be able to help connect Jews and Judaism. It's a tremendously empowering and, uh, and it's a true honor for me to, uh, to play a part in that. What's your most meaningful uh, shear or class that you deliver? So both on, in terms of the content that you're delivering and in terms of just the response from whether it be uh, an online audience or whether it be uh, an, like a real you know, live audience, what's, what's your most meaningful, most powerful stuff that you deliver? So I'll tell you, I am the fortunate host of six different podcasts in the Jewish Torah sphere. And the one that garners the most interest is the Jewish History Podcast. And that has the largest audience, and it's not even close, the, uh, the audience that that has compared to the rest of the other channels. Now, thank God the other channels are doing very well, and the audience is fantastic and very robust. But I find it interesting that what has the most mass appeal is the Jewish History Podcast. But for me personally... What I love more than anything else, it's really hard. It's really hard to say. I always say that I have six children and six podcasts, and there's almost there's almost like a connection that I have with each one of these different channels that are all like a part of me. So you're asking me to choose between my children. It's uh, it's difficult, and certainly the podcasts kind of have that feel to it. But I'll tell you, I have a podcast called Torah 101 which the subtitle of it is "An Intellectual's Introduction to Torah," and the idea is. Here's a podcast, and we're talking to adults, and we're talking to people of intelligence, of above average intelligence, who want to know what Torah is about. What's Torah? What's written Torah? What's oral Torah? What do we know about it? What can we prove about it? Is it true? Is it really legit from the Almighty? Is it legit divine? And people are treated to, I hope, an exploration of those questions. And now I think we're 34 episodes or 35 episodes in. And I say, you know, if you want to know if the Torah is divine, if you want to have a red pill moment for some, for some I think it could be quite terrifying, for others it could be uh, quite comforting, you know, that is something that's for you. And I caution people, if you don't want to know that information, just don't listen because it's quite persuasive. So that to me is something very powerful that I could say. And I've had many people, and people that are very religious, by the way, Hasidic people told me that I was too scared to ask. So I've, I've had people that are very religious that would never, you know, in, in front of other people, quibble with or question the legitimacy, veracity of the Torah. But uh, in the comfort of headphones and AirPods, they, they listen. And it's very comforting to, for them to know people that are already indoctrinated, if you will, that don't have a choice for them to know the Torah is legit and is rooted on very deep, logical, unimpeachable foundations to know that and to see it, it's quite comforting. Uh, so that, I would say, Torah 101 is something which is very powerful. But my personal favorite is the Parsha podcast. Now, starting the 50th Parsha podcast, it was something that started off, I would say, as an experiment to say, hey, let's start the Parsha, let's put it in a podcast form. It was one of the first Parsha podcasts out there. But to me, when we're studying Parsha with the Parsha podcast audience, which I call the best audience in the entire podcast universe, to study Parsha every week it kind of keeps us connected with the rest of the Jewish people. And 
every year there's new insights and there's new understandings and there's new lessons and there's new diamonds to be discovered. So I would say that's probably probably my uh, my personal favorite. So you asked me which one of my six is my favorite. I gave you really all six. <laughs> Jewish History Podcast it's the is same the one as you that had, is... the same as you would say if I asked you which one of your kids is your, your most favorite. It's the exactly, same answer. Exactly. That's amazing. Uh, it's hard to keep up all six. That's pretty... It's, uh, it's a lot of work to keep that up, but it's cool. Well, I have, plans, I have plans for seven more. Seven more. You've heard it first. Now, you asked me about the, uh, the demographics. Let me give you the quick demographics. Yeah, demographics. So again, as, as anyone who's in this space knows, it's really hard to identify the people that are listening because the stats that you get or the metrics that you get are all server-side, so to speak. They're not client-based. And the, the, the metrics, statistics, and all that information is, is very primitive, that said, I know that around you know one to three percent of the audience that I can tell from just the download numbers reach out in some way, either they send me an email or they make a donation to our organization, uh, Torch, uh, or they reach out in some capacity, and that helps me create like a, like a cross section of of the audience, and the audience is very diverse. You know, it's every state in the country. There's no. Like there's, I have a lot more listeners from New York and California than Texas. I don't have a like a hometown advantage, uh, but all over the world, I've had people from all over the world, countries that you wouldn't imagine. There's any Jews living there, um, uh, Malaysia and Thailand and uh, everywhere, everywhere, all over Europe, South America, uh, even even Canada. Not Canada's a lot of listeners from Canada, but all over the world. And it's Azerbaijan, it's kind of wild to see the people that reach out. Uh, and of course, there are many non-Jews as well, because once it's open to the public, the Jews, the non-Jews, a lot of people are very curious about these same questions. And there has been a tremendous uh, upswing of interest in Torah in the, in the non-Jewish world. So those people also comprise uh, a portion of the audience. And again, we have very religious people, Hasidic people from every kind of Hasidic background and stripe and, and color, um, religious people, observant people, orthodox, reform, conservative, reconstructionists, really, really it spans the entire spectrum of the Jewish world. And there's also a, a Gentile uh, segment of the population. And it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to be able to record once, edit once, and share with the entire world. Just, it's just an incredible thing. Right, and and that also speaks to the um, the importance of this of this work of getting it out and using this medium because uh, you mentioned this before that what I may not go to actively you know I may not actively pursue a shear or a class on a certain topic when it's sitting on my feed and it's sitting on my Spotify and it's easy to um, to listen I may listen casually and end up getting a lot of benefit from it so. It really brings out, and that's that, I'm sure that's a lot of your audience, your non-Jewish audience, your uh, parts of your Jewish audience who may not listen to these things. I know that for myself, your I think it's your your Parsha podcast where you basically go through the Parsha, right? Um, that's so helpful as a as a review for each week. Um, and I and I always start with, oh, I, I know what he's going to say because I know the Parsha, and I'm blown away that uh, casual listening also brings in so much. Uh, knowledge that you that you give us so that's it's a it's an important place to be that you can you're able to spread to so many these important ideas to so many people um, around the world and it amplifies what you're able to do yeah 
Well, I think there's also, there's a few more points to this. In the old model, in the brick and mortar model of teaching, of Jewish outreach, you're limited to the people in your geographic space, people who live in your zip code, the people who can make it at the specific time. And once you go online and there's just, you know, infinite uh, uh, replicability and infinite shelf space and uh, zero marginal costs and people can listen on demand. You know, if I have a class here on Tuesday night, I'm in the glorious torch center right now speaking to you, but I have a class here Tuesday night, let's say at 7.30, there's a very tiny sliver of humanity that can participate in it because people have to be close and they have to have the time available. And sometimes, and veteran podcast listeners know this, Podcast listeners become audiophiles. They become expert in audio, and they want to listen at two times speed or one and a half times speed, and they actually meet people in real in real life, and it's like they're talking in slow motion. So just to make, make it convenient and uh, just as easy and as efficient for the audience, you put it online. But I want to add one more point. I'm someone who my, my focus really in life is to try to disseminate Torah and disseminate Torah to our Jewish brethren. And if I was, let's say, someone who did not have a robust background in Jewish learning, like let's say I didn't grow up in the family I grew up in, and I didn't know much about Torah, and of course that is the reality of many Jews in this country and in the world. How would I be connected to Torah? I can tell you for sure, I wouldn't go to some class of some random rabbi, you know, who's probably all intimidating, or, you know, maybe I'll have to know uh, Hebrew, what if they ask me questions and I'm embarrassed? Like, half of this country, half of the world are introverts, and are not comfortable in strange environments. And by having Torah available to them on their own, on demand, in a comfortable environment for them, I think it really expands the audience just a thousandfold. You mentioned something uh, in your initial uh, in your initial answer. You said that you constantly, when you're explaining who you are, you say you're constantly finding new ways to innovate um, in teaching Torah. And obviously, uh, that that brought you to podcasting. But take me back a bit, um, twofold. But take me back to how you got started in podcasting specifically, and. Um, yeah, well, let's let's keep it there. How'd you get started in well, podcasting? Well, I always liked listening to podcasts. In fact, even as a little kid, I loved listening to radio, listening to Mike and the Mad Dog. You're a California kid, even know who Mike and the Mad Dog is. Nope. Uh, you don't know that it is. Okay. Uh, listen to like, talk radio. I love listening to all that stuff. He's always fall asleep at night listening to the radio. Uh, so I think spoken word was always something that I was interested in. But, you know, podcasts today are all the rage, the part of the zeitgeist. But going back to 2007, 2008, the early days of podcasting, and I was a listener. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, listening to various different podcasts. Fast what forward, was your first podcast? In, what was your first podcast? Jewish, not Jewish, doesn't... Well, there weren't any Jewish podcasts. There, was, there, didn't, there wasn't a thing. There, exist, there was very correct. few podcasts. I used to listen to Stuff You Should Know. And I haven't listened to that in like a decade, but that was something I used to always listen to. Uh, I used to listen to Bill like on Simmons. ITunes, when it was when it was still kind of on iTunes. Yeah, it was on iTunes. I used to listen to Bill Simmons, uh, sports. I haven't listened to him in a while, but uh, Bill you know, Simmons, I think, is the the Rebbe of podcasts. I think. He's, well, yeah, he was uh, doing it since 2007. Yeah, 
So uh, that is going back a long time. So fast forward to 2012, we moved to Houston. I get a job teaching, essentially. And we have relationships with all kinds of shuls in the local area. And I'm teaching a lot of Torah, and I'm working really hard to prepare classes and to make it interesting. And I have my phone with me, and I kind of liked the idea of, of podcasting. I said, you know what? I'm just going to start recording myself and make my own podcast. And you know what? Maybe my parents will listen to it. Maybe I'll have, uh, you know, it, it doesn't cost me anything. So I, I made a WordPress website and installed a plugin that uh, has uh, like a podcasting feature to it. And I was off and running. And now I wouldn't edit anything and I wouldn't cut out the questions that come from the audience and the audio was dreadful. But I had a podcast and I just kept on adding more and more episodes uh, to to the one feed that I had made called This Jewish Life, which podcast uh, uh, savants, so po- podcast connoisseurs know is a reference to um, a legendary podcast called This American Life, uh, one of the one of the original ones. Anyhow, so this was like a tribute, like an homage to them. So I just kept on doing it. I had hundreds of episodes. And again, the audio quality was was pretty was pretty bad, pretty dreadful, pretty gnarly. Eventually, I got a Lavalier microphone and I plugged that onto my phone, and that made it so much better. And then my dad told me, he says, "I love your podcasts, but when someone asks a question from the outside of the room, I cannot hear them, and there's like 30 minutes or 30 seconds of silence. And if you don't start editing it, you don't start fixing it, I'm gonna stop listening." So I said, "Okay, I'm gonna start editing it." So I started using Audacity. Which is uh, the like the most basic free software to uh, to edit uh, audio. I started editing out, cutting out stuff, and I kind of got pretty good at it actually. But what actually happened and made me realize how big this could be is in I remember the date even December seventeenth, two thousand and fifteen. I started. I just added the feature where it gives you stats because I didn't get any stats beforehand. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there's 2,000 downloads a month? Wow, not bad. 2,000, there's 2,000 people listening to me a month? This is outrageous. So I got more serious about it. I started like improving my microphone game, like getting more expensive microphones and higher production quality. And I also started diverse, diversifying my, my content because I had one channel and it had hundreds and hundreds of episodes, but it wasn't segregated by topic. So I would have like my partial stuff and my history stuff and all the other interests that I have and all the other topics I would talk about, it was all bunched together, lumped together under one feed. Actually, you know, where we're we prior to the election, I don't know if uh, when you're going to release this, but I remember during the previous election, I remember what class I gave on that Tuesday night. And because that's when, right when I started the Jewish history podcast. I'm not sure if that's because you're a podcast. I may be your rabbi title that gives you that, uh, that ability to remember dates, exactly which share you give on and who was listening and who came, right? Well, regardless, regardless of people's political preferences, we can safely say that most people remember what happened that night. But anyhow, that's when I started the Jewish history podcast. Because I said, you know what? I'm going to give a series on Jewish history. Let me just do a Jewish history podcast. There's no one doing a Jewish history podcast. Let me start that. I'll just start a new channel. And that was a, a huge revelation because now there's two entries with Rabbi Yaakov Wolby's name in the iTunes directory. And people who search for Jewish history will 
potentially stumble upon this this podcast. Now, eventually, when I started giving a, a series and one of my classes started doing Parsha, I said, okay, I'll do, I'll do the Parsha podcast. And right now we're up to six and hopefully we'll keep on going. But that I found to be uh, a useful strategy to be able to kind of let a thousand flowers bloom, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, you know, and to increase the, you know, the, the shelf space, so to speak, the shelf space, the shelf space, so to speak, of, of what is made available online. So it's a long-winded uh, answer to your question, which I don't remember what it was, but that's kind of my story. So that's where you got started with it. And the question is, uh, where does it go? And, and this, this importance, like what got you into podcasting was because you're giving sure in many ways, and you might as well use this medium. Um, but there's so many more mediums and there's so many, so many available mediums that we need to use um, that people are at in order to get more Torah there. The question is, is that the important, is that the way you look at it? That where are people, where can I, where can I be where people are? Or is it, I'm in podcasting and people come to me. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty philosophical question as well with the, the, how we use the innovations to further Torah. Uh, do we find where people are hanging out anyways and then post there? Uh, that's, that's how I see it. Well, I, I have some strong thoughts on this. I'm going to give you some nice spicy hot takes here for your podcast here, Aaron. So yes, first of all, I believe that we must harness the various technologies that are available to us to advance our agenda. And whatever that agenda may be, or not agenda, or our cause, well, that's the responsible thing to do to try to utilize whatever you have to be able to further your objective, so I think if it comes to Torah, you know, the, the Jewish people were all over Gutenberg's uh, printing press. And why? Because they said, hey, this is a tremendous technological innovation. Let's use it for Torah. So the idea of, of Ludditism for us to say, you know what, we've been doing this the way, the same way and to, you know, to not tamper with what works, first of all, doesn't work. But second of all, I don't think that uh, that's, uh, that's really rooted in, in, um, in Jewish tradition. So that's A. B, specifically with me, I believe that we should try to harness every potential platform. However, this is where I think people go wrong. Okay? People have to know the platform and understand what works on the platform before they just say, hey, I'm doing the same thing that I've always done. Let me just add a microphone and suddenly I'm a podcaster. And let me just turn the orientation, and now I'm on Instagram. People have to realize that these plat platforms, these media, they they have uh, the, the content that's native to those particular media. So if you have no idea what podcasts are and you've never had that connection with a host, kind of get to know someone vicariously via via their podcasting, you don't really know the power of this particular of this particular platform. Similarly, you know, if you just try to take like a, like a, just a one size fits all approach and say, okay, I'm going to do something and I'll simultaneously, I'll, I'll have my, my YouTube and my Facebook and my uh, WhatsApp and whatever and podcasting, I'll do it all in one, which is kill all birds with one stone. I think, I think you're not really utilizing the power of these platforms. You have to know what works on a given platform. What's the style 
I'm not on TikTok, but from what I gather, TikTok has a very unique style and just trying to take... I was going to ask you, how far does this go? Will you, Do you see yourself being on TikTok? Uh, <laughs> I hope not. I'm sure you could dance, Rabbi. Come on. Yeah, but the, you know we have to adapt. If you want to be successful, you want to adapt your content to fit the particular the particular media that you want to conquer. So, right, I can't agree more to that to that point that it's uh, each, and you said it great. It's each each medium uh, platform has its native talk, native jargon, the way you speak and the way you do it, and what works on and, one and different formats, work on the other, so. different formats, formats as, well. as well. Yeah, so like, um, and we we if you don't use it. You know, people are putting out podcasts like nobody's listening to my podcast, and it's uh, it's because perhaps you're you're not doing it in the right way, and you're not it's not edited. The audio quality, all these things are, and they're they're cheap and easy really to do today uh, to figure them out and to and to to excel in each platform. So, well, I'm I'm not a believer that everyone has the chops to be a great podcaster or you know a great teacher. I'm not a believer in that. Um, I think you could, of course, help on the margins to improve the audio and to, you know, to, to polish it a little bit. But not everyone is cut out for this job, Iron. You know that. Um, yeah, I do. I do believe, though, that there's a lot of ideas of people who, and you mentioned this, and I want to get back to it for a second. A lot of people who um, there's a bit of a fear of technology and innovation in our in our communities, perhaps. And I don't I don't know the origins of it. One day I will do a podcast about the origins of uh, of these fears that plague our communities. But uh, that's that's one thing that I do find is that there's this fear of the innovation and we're not sure how to use it, what to do. So we do have people who have quality content, who have quality ideas and should be good podcasters or Instagram or Facebook and they should be good at these things. Um, and they, it's only because of this fear and this, this relationship with technology. And you mentioned that you think it's a... A, like a Jewish value, almost. Oh, potentially. At the, potentially, and and what what val what is that value? Can we speak to that? Well, that? listen. We live in a society, and we've been raised with with certain values, and those values worldwide are somewhat, I would say, eroding. You know, if you compare what life today is like in America, what the priorities and the values. Uh, let's say, you know, for, for, for family and, f and for marriage and things like that, education, whatever it is, things are changing very quickly. And the Internet, I think, is just uh, the most powerful innovation of them all. And, of course, that gives the most upside, but it has the most potential peril as well. So I think, I think there is a legitimate concern for people, you know, if they if they get too into technology and they don't become like a producer, they become a consumer and their, you know, their, their minds are addled and they get, uh, they, you know, they could get, they could get ruined, if you will. You know, I told my, my, my children, you mentioned before we started recording, uh, my sons had an episode that they recorded on, on, on my friend Dan's podcast. The Shema podcast. The Shema podcast. Yeah. Uh, give it a listen. Shameless plug for, for the Shema podcast. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, my children are at that age where their peers nationally are all getting smartphones. And I told my children, I say, this is the hill I'm dying on. This is it. Okay? We have a lot of flexibility in our parenting philosophy. 
you know, we, we don't give too many rules and we don't enforce bedtime so much. And if you don't want to do your homework, I'm not, I'm never going to force my kid to do homework. I have to go late to school. It's no big deal. You know, and we're very free and we don't have a lot of rules. However, I know that you get a phone and the smartest people in the entire planet are thinking about how they get kids addicted to various apps. And of course, I'm not talking about all the bad things that there are online. Even besides for that, of course, there are terrible things uh, that are available online and all kinds of deviant behavior and all kinds of crazy things, as everyone knows. But even besides for that, scrolling is the new smoking. And attention is the one finite resource. It's the one thing that doesn't grow. Okay, It's the one thing that remains scarce. The last area of scarcity is people's attention. So everyone's vying for people's attention. And you have scientists in labs in Silicon Valley that are there, again, hiring the best PhD grads from MIT and Stanford, trying to figure out how to get your kids and my kids and everyone else's kids hooked on certain apps and certain behavior. And in my opinion, that erodes their brain. It makes it very difficult for them to, you know, they want to study Talmud. You think someone could study Talmud after playing Fortnite? It's not possible, you know. The, the idea of being able to sit down and study Talmud and, and working your brain and thinking about really difficult problems, that ability, I think, gets eroded with people with people's, you know, um, immersion into, you know, the silliness of, of technology. So I think there is a lot of legitimate danger. So I told my son, I always tell my son, I just finished that point. I told my son, I said, I'd rather buy you a Russian tank, you know, like a, like a T-34. I'd rather buy you that. I'd rather buy you a gun. I'd rather buy you anything than buy you a smartphone. That's the line I tell him, and he loves that line. So he always tells his friends, oh, my father said to me that he'd rather buy me a Russian tank than, uh, than, than a smartphone. Just wait I think till that Afi Komen present request one year, you know? Listen, I'll tell you, I'd prefer that. You know, they, sometimes they sell them on eBay. They're not exactly street legal, but if you have a big enough ranch, maybe you could pull it off. But it, it, it's like a joke, but it, it, it's, it's, this is my red line in the sand. This is what I'm not doing because to me, a human mind is a terrible thing to waste. It's a terrible thing to waste. And I think that idea or these two ideas, the potentially harmful, destructive, um, acutely destructive elements of smartphones and internet, plus uh, I would say the more, the more chronic kind of slow degradation of people's minds are legitimate fears. That said, I like the idea of utilizing it, going to, pe- to people where they are at, and using it, harnessing it as a tool to, to teach more Torah and to connect more Jews. It's just an amazing thing. And it's, it's not possible for me 100 years ago to teach Parsha to thousands of people every week. It's not possible. There's no way to do it. There's no way to do it. And today it is possible. And this week it's possible. And last week it was possible too. So I think it's something really beautiful provided that it's handled uh, delicately. Now, in terms of the, the content, that was speaking to, to podcasting and innovation. But in terms of your content, to go back to that for a moment, um, do you get pushback? Do you, do you, does this open you up into a like almost intellectual dark web of, of uh, discussions and, and arguments? You want to get um, some hate mail? Do you get hate mail? I've, got, I've gotten my fair share of ha- hate mail. Some of it deserved, to be honest, but uh, most of it uh, not. But that, you know, that comes with the territory. But but the amount of positive feedback that I've gotten just dwarfs the the negative hate mail that I get. Uh, and 
you would say that's your motivation for moving forward, for keeping keeping going, is just getting those. No, it's uh, part of it. People... It's part of it to, to see the feedback. It's part of it to see the numbers. It's part of it because, you know, this is this is what I'm good at. And this is, I'm, I'm seeing the impact. And I don't have to have necessarily little doses of dopamine where people thank me. That's nice, I think. But it's also my job, right? This is, this is my job. This is, this is what I do. And I have, have you partners. Have found that this, that this um, furthers the, the cure of an outreach um, mission for you? Or this is something different where you take the class and put it out and get a larger, wider audience, but the uh, cure is still best done on the ground? What's nice about it is that you don't need to do more effort. You know, I could give a class in front of a live audience, which is something that I used to do all the time before coronavirus. You give a class in front of a live audience, you still have that same that same personal touch, but now you could afterwards you edit it, make it look sound really nice, and you can send it to everyone else. You don't lose anything. So that's that's number one. It's just this and not but. There's no there's no trade-offs that need to be made. But yes, I definitely agree uh, that. Or I definitely believe that this is maybe the most powerful tool yet to be able to do Jewish outreach. And I'm going to say something controversial, just because I want to give you some spicy outtakes that you could... uh, (laughs) I believe that not only is podcasting a good medium through which to teach people about Torah, do Jewish outreach, I actually think... It's better than being in person. And here's why. First of all, people are... I didn't think you would leave me hanging on that. <laughs> people you know, people are, are a collection of good and bad, you know? Some people, you know, they're, they have tremendous abilities in one area, but then there's other areas where they're lacking, right? So you want to influence someone. If they know the totality of who you are, they may say, I don't know, you know, this this rabbi, he kind of looks funny or, or uh, you know, he has that thing that he does that really irritates me. Or I go to the class or I go to the Shabbos table and there's, there's this environment that doesn't really jive with me. I think what's nice about the podcasting is that it takes just the good and really abstracts away everything else. You know, there's no annoying people sitting next to you. You can really consume it on your own. You could consume it at your at your pace, and your location, your speed, at whatever schedule you want, and it's it's just an elevated experience that you can't even have in person. So yes, there is a, a loss of a of a sense of you know actual face to face person person interaction, but you're a a, a Kanyashenti of of podcasting. You know that when you when you have a podcast and you listen to someone consistently, you gotta get to know them, and you really develop a relationship. And it's and it's weird. It's weird, like for me, when I speak to people who are big fans, or have been listening, who make a donation. I call them up to thank them. They're like, they invariably tell me like, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. So they tell me, which is weird for me, just an average Joe, right? I'm just a regular guy. But because I feel the same way, by the way, because I, I feel like I know where you're going. I, I hear you so so often. So it's it cultivates a certain relationship, and I think does it without any of the other secondary, tertiary components of a relationship that I think could maybe uh, tamper with it. So of course, listen for someone to become 
to, to really move spiritually, they need to be prompted, they need to be triggered, they need to have something that kind of makes them make a change. And that, of course, is better in person. You're able to, you know, to assess where someone is and to kind of nudge them along. So, of course, there are benefits of being in person, but there is something that's actually greater and more better and better and more powerful and, and, and more potent about this particular uh, medium. That's a powerful point. I like that. Uh, what are what are new form, new mediums and new platforms that you see that either you I know you have seven more podcasts you want to do. I don't know if uh, if you'll have time to conquer new mediums, but what are open mediums? Uh, open platforms that you see that aren't being utilized to teach Torah on um, and need to be need to be utilized. I got ideas. Where do I spread them? Well, I I think that there's there's definitely a question of you know that's that's one component that's that you know that's one vector so to speak in the discussion. There's a question of of the media, but I also think that there's you know there's technique, and then there's 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 skill and there, there's there's science really about how to influence people. I, when I went to yeshiva, we were learning Baba Kama, right? We're, we're, learn, we're learning a bit Talmud. Like, we're not being trained to influence people necessarily. Now, of course, if someone, someone becomes a rabbi, someone goes to yeshiva, someone studies Talmud, they have so many abilities and so many skills that are so off the charts. The ability to have critical thinking and logical deduction and the ability to kind of present and structure arguments and, you know, to think um, in, in, in a, in a, in a uh, methodical way. Like, there, there are skills that... that those of us who are fortunate enough to go to yeshiva that we pick up that really are, you know, that, that put us in the absolute, you know, 1%, so to speak, in certain fields. That said, I think, I think that there's, there's, there's all these soft sciences that people in my industry have no idea about. The, like, for example, okay, this is a, this is a provocative word, but hypnosis, right? So what do we know about Hypnosis. I believe that Musser, the way it was designed by the founder of the Musser movement, is hypnosis. Okay? Like self-induced. Self-induced hypnosis, exactly. Which is why you got to repeat the same thing over, develop kind of mantras and sing songs and things like that. Because you're trying to kind of access a certain part of your unconscious that you can't really access directly. I got to go use some subterfuge, use some circuitous ways to get there, right? So that's something that, do you think, do you know any rabbis that were trained in hypnosis? Or hear of outreach rabbis? Okay, well, what about meditation? Is meditation a Jewish thing? Like, that is, an, there's an entire body of science that helps people kind of move along. I also think, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. I really am. Like, I, I'm comfortable talking. You find it hard to believe, right? I, I'm, I'm definitely an introvert. It's not even close, okay? <laughs> like, if I go to a room and I don't, know any, I don't know anyone, and, like, I have to, like, say hi to someone, I always give this example that, you know, if I, if I grew up, you know, if I grew up and I wasn't Torah observant, I don't think the raw rock hero of guys will be able to reach out to me. I don't. Right. I, I don't think so. So... Fascinating. I'm comfortable and, speaking. And it's only based on your personality, you're saying. Personality, yeah. And half, half the country is introverts. And by the way, I think more than half of the best candidates for people to really connect to Torah are also introverts. Yet the entire industry, if you will, is designed for extroverts by extroverts. I also think that you know people need to be prompted. For someone to change behavior, 
you have to have three things. You have to motivation, they have to want to do it, they have to have ability to do it, and they have to be prompted, they have to have a trigger, okay? That formula is, or, or was codified in, in Stanford in their persuasion lab, okay? Persuasion lab. There's a laboratory of scientists that are trying to teach the science of persuasion. People have to want to do something. They have to have sufficient motivation. They have to be able to do it. They have to have the ability to know what to do. And they have to be prompted. Like I was thinking, like I, I, I was trained as a rabbi, but no one ever told me this. Like h- how are we supposed to influence people if we don't know the science of influence? So I think, uh, again, to, to back to your uh, larger question, I think there is the whole question of what media we should try to use and what's underutilized. I think that's that's important. I I, I feel like there's still room for someone to be a like a like a a great YouTube rabbi. And there are a few, but I think I feel like I feel like YouTube is probably still underserved, and it's probably still in its infancy. Right. I also think that. None of the, or very little of what I've seen of the Torah content on YouTube is, like we said earlier, you know, platform native. You know, to have like a, you put a picture. It's Jewish native. It's Jewish native. Yeah, but let's, let's put a camera up in front of the rabbi and let's, let's, let's hear him pontificate, right? That's, that's great, but it's not really harnessing the power. Like um, animations and, you know, that entire style of YouTube videos where they have a handwriting making pictures and diagrams and things like that. I've never seen anything like that uh, in 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 this in this space, and I would love to do that if I knew how to do it. You know, like like how many animators or how many Torah institutions are using animators to try to spread Torah? Probably very few. I think Aleph Beta uh, is is. Uh, right, I was going to mention Rabbi Foreman. Yeah, well. Rabbi Foreman. You know, just besides for being a, a brilliant man and author, I think he is a trailblazer on the vanguard of uh, of of using all kinds of new techniques and and uh, avant-garde um, technologies to be able to, to spread Torah, though it is behind a paywall. Well, and also, it also gets commitment, it gets buy-in. You know, people pay for something, you know. So, so the, the, it definitely is that. Um, I've toyed with the idea, and I might still do it, of doing a podcast channel that is a private feed. and Like a Patreon almost. Oh, a Patreon, or there's various different ways to do it, but you have to have a, a password or a code to be able to get it. Uh, I've toyed with the idea of, of courses. Um, again, this is to answer the, or to, to continue along this discussion. Uh, I think uh, courses is probably still, um, you know, the, the whole the whole MOOCs thing and uh, Coursera and Udemy and uh, Khan, Khan Academy. Well, a, the problem is there's a lot of there's a lot of marketing that goes along with that. It's not as easy as putting it up, you know, that that's a really super um, competitive space and you have to market, you have to be, it's a bit more towards an extrovert than an introvert. Although I don't know if that's proven that, that those are the, the better uh, personal brand marketers, but um, that's a whole, that there's a whole, there's a whole thing there as well within, within marketing. Yeah, I also think just to um, yes, that's definitely definitely something that's uh, worth considering. Especially again, we're talking about you know for the long long term, not the not the near yeah. term. Uh, I think email marketing is is probably the best. I'm actually uh, please God, you're the first to know this, but I'm I'm starting a, a an email newsletter. 
Um, so, okay, so, so what do we have? We have, uh, again, I think podcasting is still in its infancy. And it's growing. It's growing probably you know thirty forty percent a year. Even after that, you know hundred thirty million dollar deal with uh, Joe Rogan and Spotify, I really I believe I agree with you that it's just this is the beginning. Spotify's figuring it out with censorship and with Joe Rogan, and they're just the whole the whole thing is being figured out. So absolutely. So and and YouTube and courses and emails and and newsletters, um, and again technique technique. Uh, technique is is what really matters, and people also need to know that the competition. And when I say competition, I mean anyone vying for someone's attention is competition. The competition is getting better and better and better every year. So if you are relying on that good old content that you have, that you've been churning, you know, in your in your uh, um, uh, scholar in residence. Uh, you know, year after year, that's great. But once you open it up to a global audience, there's certain expectations, and you have to get create, better. You yeah, exactly. And you have and you have to give give something that's new, that's that's fresh, that is just up to snuff with the competition. And only then, you know, only the paranoid survive. <laughs> that's the title of a book right. written by uh, Andy Grove, the CEO of Intel. Only the paranoid survive. Well, then I just want to end off here with uh, any tips that you have. And, and we, we basically spoke to this, so if it's irrelevant, that's fine. But are there any tips that you have for either people who already have a podcast or are using uh, these mediums and not using them the right way? Uh, any tips for perhaps uh, specifically podcasting or anything besides for what you mentioned? Well, content is king. So if you have great content, that already you know solves ninety percent of your problems. Audio quality matters. Audio quality matters. Uh, the people who listen to podcasts generally are going to listen to a lot of different podcasts, and if you don't have great audio, very close to their ears, so it's got to be exactly uh, good. Yeah. Yes, people, you should get away with bad video. You can't get away with bad audio. You can't do it. And again, once you learn how to do it, it's not. You don't have to have NPR quality stuff, but you have to be very, very good, and you have to edit it, and you have to respect your audience. Uh, I would probably say that consistent style matters. People want to know what 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 they're signing up for. I know, like me personally, if I'm going to sample a new podcast, like I have a lot of apprehension because I don't want to listen to. Like, I, like well, what if there's four minutes of ads? Like, what do I do then, you know? I, of course, it's not the end of the world, but there's so much good stuff out there, and you want to give and give and give your audience and make them, you know, make them have a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. And what's nice about, about podcasts is that even though audio does not go viral, you'll never have a spike. But... Once you earn a listener, they like you. And they know what you give them. You give them consistent stuff. You don't have like four episodes drop in one day and then I'll see you in a couple of months. And, you know, there's a certain uniformity to your episodes. They, you know, they know what they're getting, basically. The quality is great. If it's a bad episode, you just delete it and re-record again or just skip it. That's better than putting up something which is subpar. Because subpar, once they turn off from you, they're not going to come back. But once you earn the audience, there's quite likely that you'll have some staying power, that, that, that they will remain with you because they like you. So why would they not remain with you? 
So it's, again, you if someone's doing this well, I think they'll probably see consistent, you know, 20, 30% uh, year over year growth. So will you have instant stardom? Probably not. Probably not. Even if you're very, very good, you probably won't have that. But if someone wants to do this, you could reach more people in podcasting than you could do really in almost any other way. Now, there's still a lot of real estate of the market that's untapped. Maybe I shouldn't give you all my tips. Should I, should I, should I give you all my tips? Because then you'll say, oh, no, you know, we're fighting, we're jockeying for the same real estate. <laughs> you can get these, and this is this is what I'm saying, like the, the tips are only for the super serious because um, if you want to learn how to podcast, you can go through a few courses. You can get everything on YouTube. You could You could just research and find it. It's all there. The internet allows us to learn this stuff. This is how I learned it all from this, from books, from YouTube. Um, and that's it. You just figure it out. You can figure out how to structure your show. You can figure out how to do interviews. Anything you want is there. Uh, so I don't feel like offering and giving these tips are really going to get anybody to compete because it's if they got it, then kola kavod and and uh, it's only good for the cause that we're, that we're pushing here, uh, that we're trying to get more content and more Torah out there, allowing people to to use these mediums the right way and respect their audience is, is really important. Yeah, and then there's some basic editing tips. If people want some basic editing tips, they could always email me, rabbitwalbygmail.com. There's a few basic, basic editing tips that's, that's all really you need to know. So I, have, I happen to have a thing for microphones. I love microphones. So I have, I have this one. I have the, um, the Electro Voice, sorry. Electro Voice, the the EV, uh, it's called the uh, the R uh, R E three twenty and the and the R H two twenty seven. This is like you know three four five hundred dollar microphones, so but it's it's worth it. You know this is this is the tool that you're using. This is the medium, right? But let me give you guys some uh, some go- some good juicy tips for anyone who wants to to stand out or to have a sh- have a chance at standing out uh, podcasting. So again. If someone tells you it's easy, it's not. It's not because this is a this is a real skill. This is broadcasting, and to be good at it, you have to be good at it. You have to learn how to you know speak in a way that's interesting, you know, and, and you study the you know what what great radio producers do or great radio personalities do. Have a little bit of you know nuance in in your words. You know, pepper in some interesting words, make it interesting. You know, have uh, cadence and tone and things like that to make it sound just sound better, and to create a little bit of drama, a little bit of mystery. The pauses in the right places. You know, things like that that you that you have to study and you have to observe because otherwise you just won't know it. Moreover, what I would tell you is that podcast discovery is still in its infancy. It's very primitive. It's very primitive. The way it works, essentially, is that around 70 or so percent of all the podcast listeners are using Apple phones and are using Apple Podcasts, and they're going to the Apple Podcast directory, and they're searching for something. Now, if you are part of, you know, one of the big consortiums, you know, if you, like you said, Joe Rogan, but if you're you know, if you're part of NPR or, you know, the New York Times, something like that. So that's a different story. We're talking about independence 
certainly people like us, let's say, let's say the audience you have over here are people who want to teach Torah and they want to teach Torah via podcasts. No one knows who they are. Maybe they get their, their parents and close friends to listen to off the bat, which is great. But besides for that, the way to have a little bit of exposure, one of the things I would advise is don't be too clever or creative in your show title. Because like Google, if you search on the web and you search on Google, there's so much stuff going on in the algorithm to try to give you the accurate result. If I want, let's say, I want some inspiration on, on Hanukkah, right? I want a podcast that's going to speak to me about that. Like you go to Apple and you put it into the search, like, like there's no way for them to know. They, they don't have any of the tools that Google has to know what you want, to know what you mean, and to have all that, all that data to know exactly what people are looking for when they write you know, things that don't make sense to other humans. Therefore, like what I have done with my podcast is like I've given them. So, so yeah, help, it helps that I already have an, uh, an audience. So if I want to start a new channel, I could cross-pollinate and say, hey, you know, I, I started this new channel. And if you're interested in this, you could give it a listen. Here's the link, et cetera. So, so you know, so to me, it's a little, a little bit easier. But like my Parsha podcast, podcast is called The Parsha Podcast. You know, so if anyone's searching for Parsha, that, that's, that will show up. Now, someone could say, hey, you know, excursions through Exodus, right? It sounds very clever. Maybe it's a good name for your book, you know, uh, Dissecting Deuteronomy or uh, Probing the Pentateuch, right? You have a lot of clever ideas, which is, which is really nice, but the odds are someone's not searching for the Pentateuch uh, when they, when, you know, so the most basic, your, your title, essentially, the title of your podcast means a lot. So I, I have the Jewish History Podcast. People search Jewish history. There's a few other competitors uh, that are great, of course, but you know that 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 puts me to the top of that of that query. So uh, and I've, I've had so, so many people tell me, I, I just stumbled upon it. I, I just I was looking for Parsha and I found you and I kind of liked it. If someone really wants to impact Kleisrel, impact the Jewish people, I think, and, and, they're, and they're talented, you know, I, 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 it's poss- quite possible that Messiah is going to be a podcaster. Oh, okay. Now I'm getting into loony territory. <laughs> loony territory. But h- how are you going to influence the whole world? How are you going to do it? You have to be able to relate to them, right? That's my main point is that if you're, if you're in the business of influencing and you're in the business, you got to learn the mediums and the platforms and use them well. Um, thank you so much, Rabbi Wolby, for, for joining us. Um, and giving us those your hot takes and your hot tips, um, it was uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. That is great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Aaron. I really appreciate. It. I wish you tremendous success in, in 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 your in your podcasting endeavors, both in your uh, your own channel and and your father, Rabbi Jeff, who's a total legend, uh, in his channel and uh, in in your network. I uh, thank you for hosting me, and uh, thank you for uh, I guess. Uh, for putting in the legwork to help uh, to help people become better podcasters and better teachers and wish you tremendous success. Thank you for listening today to my conversation with Robert Wolby. That was such an awesome conversation with him. Uh, my, my key takeaway was really that he's so excited about this and he himself, as I mentioned in the intro, just reached a million downloads and just wants to collaborate and people should should be able to do this and I love how he's able to change with the times it used to be that Kira was best done one-on-one he's like no I can do it 
I can do outreach one to many, and he's going to try that way. And it's awesome, that story that he said about the Hasidish, maybe it was a Hasidish guy who enjoyed his podcast very well, would never have listened to, to, I think it was the Torah 101 podcast. And because Rabbi Wolby put it out there and it was he was able to do it in a more private setting, this is what he was doing in private. It's amazing the impact we can have on all different types of people and to believe in yourself that you can do it. And the things that you have in your head and the things that you've worked through are important and may help other people. That's a really important message. And I thank you for joining us. Uh, sneak peek into next week, we have... His name is Eliezer Goldsmith, and he you may know him as the booking agent for Nisim Black. And he is a fascinating character, a cool cat, and it was a really awesome conversation with him too, so look forward to that for next time.